Welcome to the Word of Christ, sermons from Pastor Sean Denzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we must combine the fourth and the fifth parts of the Catechism tonight, baptism, the office of the keys, and confession and absolution. But they all can be summed up easily under one topic, repentance. Repentance is the daily return to baptism, and it's the proper life of living in it as baptized Christians. Confession absolution is the practical, concrete form that repentance takes. And the office of the keys is the authority given to the church by Christ to forgive and to restore the penitent, but also to warn and withhold forgiveness from the impenitent. And our Augsburg Confession on Repentance will also be our guide for tonight. It starts like this. Our churches teach that there is forgiveness of sins for those who have fallen after baptism whenever they are converted. The church ought to impart absolution to those who return to repentance. Now, all of you ought to know what holy baptism is, that it is the water included in God's command to wash and combined with His Word, the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Scriptures teach us clearly that everyone is born in trespasses and sins and dead in them. We are born enemies of God with wills and hearts that desire to be God rather than to fear, love, and trust in Him. And when you believe what the Scriptures say about us, then it is no surprise or question at all to us that the gift of baptism absolutely is for children, not just for adults. In short, baptism is God's promise to us. He delivers the salvation won by Christ to us. He puts His name on us so that we belong no longer to the world of sin and Satan, but we belong to God. We are His own. And in baptism, we are born again from above as children of God and as His heirs. But what is the ongoing significance of holy baptism? What kind of life has God brought us into through baptism? Baptism indicates that the old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die along with all evil sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before him in righteousness and purity forever. Now, one might think that a Christian who commits a terrible sin or who even abandons Christ in the church, that such a person would probably need to be re-baptized before they could become a Christian again. But that's not right, because baptism is God's promise, not our promise. 
And that means, unlike our promises, it never fails. We don't need a new baptism. We only need to be returned to that baptism, our baptism. That is, we need to be converted again to it. And the Catechism teaches us to think about baptism like this, less in dramatic, in terms of dramatic and emergency situations, but to instead realize that this kind of conversion, this returning to the gift of baptism and to the state that God has given us, this is already a part of the everyday life of a Christian. That's what repentance really is. Baptism begins a whole life of daily dying and daily rising, if you like, daily conversion. The ongoing significance of baptism is that we constantly now are fighting against and putting our old sinful nature to death whenever we see it arise in us, which is all the time. Now, for those who know their sin, for those who feel their sin, there's already a bit of comfort here. Because it says that a Christian can expect to know and to feel their sin their whole life, not because they're going to wallow in it forever, but because they're never going to stop fighting against it. But the true comfort isn't that. The true comfort is that Jesus Christ remains with us and that He fights for us. The righteousness and the purity that count are Christ's righteousness and purity, as we heard on Sunday. And from that, from Him, His Spirit brings forth a new person in us, a new life and new powers, as we just sang, that begin to live before God rightly. Now, all of this falls under the broad word repentance. Our Augsburg Confession, again, has a simple and valuable definition for us. Strictly speaking, repentance consists of two parts. One is contrition, that is, terrors striking the conscience through the knowledge of sin. The other part is faith, which is born of the gospel or absolution and believes that for Christ's sake sins are forgiven. It comforts the conscience and delivers it from terror. And then, good works are bound to follow, which are the fruit of repentance. Two parts, it says, strictly speaking, contrition and faith. Contrition, that's the part that we usually connect with the word repent. We may have learned that repentance is simply feeling sorry, but that's pretty weak. Because contrition is when you have the fear of God put into you. Because you finally come to grips with your sin. Contrition and confession as well are not explaining your sin. In fact, contrition can only really begin when all of your explanations finally stop. When you're face to face with God with no excuses and only fear. But take God's word for it. This sort of fear is close to godliness. And as our psalm said, it is better to confess than to try and get away keeping it quiet. At last, your conscience has given up all of its frantic excuse-giving and rationalizing. That's the sort of stuff that you might tell to your therapist. But God wants you to admit the truth. 
Because then you are no longer fighting God to stay in your sin. No, now the Holy Spirit has convicted you of it by His Word, and He's convicted you that you cannot possibly continue in it. And so now He may at last do His proper work, the thing that the Holy Spirit really is given for, to convince you of Christ's righteousness and to comfort you with it. The second part of repentance, which can't be left out, is faith. And that doesn't come from you at all. It is born from the gospel, we confess. And our confession of faith takes the time to define gospel even with a synonym. Are you ready for the synonym for the gospel? The absolution. The Lutheran confessions say that the gospel is the absolution and that the absolution is the gospel. Saving faith is believing that for Christ's sake, your sins are forgiven. Now, how could anyone come to believe that? Only when they are told again and again, your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. The gospel is the message of the free forgiveness of sins on account of Christ's life and death and resurrection for you. And thus the absolution, all of the words that say, I forgive you all your sins, that is the gospel, plain and simple. The gospel creates and gives birth to faith. It takes people who are dead in trespasses and sins and it takes those who return again, putting their sins to death daily. And it raises you to life again. The gospel comforts the conscience and delivers it from terror. And this is why the gift of individual confession and absolution is so valuable in our Lutheran church. It's the ordinary means in the church for the individual Christian to receive this comfort and be delivered from terror directly and personally. Now you know as well as I do that the world that doesn't believe, that doesn't go to church, they think that we are some group of sinless, holy people, which is why they relish any opportunity they have to call us hypocrites when they notice that we fail. But they do this because they do not understand repentance at all. Maybe we don't either sometimes. I mean, if we had a congregation where no one believed that they actually needed to be absolved, that they actually needed to hear that their sins were forgiven from another person, that would only mean that we have a congregation that doesn't have any contrition or faith. Because even the pagans know that we couldn't have a congregation that didn't have any sin. But wherever there is a true congregation of Christians who know their sin and who trust all the more in Christ, then they seek out this gift of confession and absolution as our catechism teaches it, and they do it often. They're not afraid of who might see them, just as they're not afraid who sees them coming to the Lord's Supper. They know that only the gospel can 
convert them. Only the gospel can comfort them and return them to Christ. They are like the deer in Psalm 42 that pants after the water. So their souls are longing for this healing. And this is where the office of the keys comes in. When people are hungry in this world, when they are desperate, love dictates that you feed them and you give them hope. Well, when people are contrite and when they are in terror over their sins, God's compassion has made sure that in His church there is always to be access to His gifts. That is also why the Lord's Supper is to be offered frequently, regardless of whether everyone would happen to use it every week. God sends pastors, shepherds after His own heart, as our text says, because He wants the church to forgive people, plain and simple. The church ought to impart absolution to those who return to repentance, our confession says. So God gives an authority, and with it He gives orders. He does it because He knows how lazy, how forgetful, even how spineless we all can be not to mention unbelieving, even in the midst of our believing. But that's what a pastor is. He's a shepherd. The buck stops there when it comes to repentance and faith. And what that means is that the pastor is to give the poor deer its water. He's to do it first and foremost. If no one else will, he will do it alone. But ideally, he will do it as the leader of a whole congregation in that one matter. But the gospel, that is the absolution, would be everywhere. That we would be surrounded, as we said in the Antiphon, the psalm today, with shouts of our deliverance by Christ. And then, good works are bound to follow, which are the fruit of repentance. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, we were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. Now this is not only that we who die with Jesus will also rise with Him at the last day. That's true. We say that at every funeral. But it also includes daily now, being conformed to His cross and then daily rising to walk in a new and holy life of good works. The Lord isn't like lawyers in our world. He doesn't dangle good works out there like fine print on a contract waiting to snag us and to take away the forgiveness of sins from us. No. These are the very same works that we've always known about. They're what the commandments that we heard about three weeks ago define as good, and which works, when avoided or ignored or destroyed, are the definition of sins. We are bound to do them, of course, out of duty and out of love, but not as the source of our salvation and forgiveness. Rather, our salvation and our forgiveness that is the source of these good works. The gospel at work in a Christian is bound, our confession says, it's bound to produce good works in the same way that a tree is bound to produce good fruit. 
And if you wish to become a better person, if you wish to do more good, if you wish nothing more than to live as the baptized child of God that you believe He has made you, then that's what you're doing. The path to holy living always leads constantly through repentance and faith because that is how the Holy Spirit is at work to renew and preserve us to life everlasting. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to The Word of Christ. You can find more sermons at verbachristi.blogspot.com and if you have need to contact Pastor Denzer, you can email him at pastor at denzer.org. That's P-A-S-T-O-R at D-A-E-N-Z-E-R dot O-R-G. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Amen.